From the onset of entering the promised land, the people of God struggle. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So God raised up judges to help his people stay true to the ways of the Lord. The last judge was Samuel, who judged Israel all the days of his life. The people cried out, Give us a king to judge us like all the nations. The Lord relented and told Samuel, Give them their king. The people chose Saul, a man of good appearance and tall stature, but did not have a heart for God. The Lord rejected Saul and chose an unlikely candidate in David to be king. The Lord opposes the proud, exalts the humble, and in spite of evil, his master plan continues to unfold. This is First Samuel. The uh, question I want to ask you this morning is when it comes to relationships and it comes to friendship or whether it's a, a marriage or you're dating somebody or even a relationship with God or a coworker, what would you say is one of the key aspects to that relationship? Well, what, what's one of the key things that comes? And obviously, I have something in mind, um, but I know there's probably a lot of different things, a lot of different aspects to, to relationships, but one that I think that has risen to the top for me, and it really has come through trial and error and, and the ability to be able to, uh, to look and learn, is I think it's, it's communication. If you ask me what is the key in any friendship, in any relationship, it's got to be communication. And particularly in communication, I would say the art of listening. To be able to listen. Good friends listen well. Great marriages are built on two people who are willing to listen to one another and do the hard work of seeking to understand one another. I think it's the same in a relationship with God. Faithful Christ followers are people who will uh, listen and obey the word of God over a long period of time. And uh, you would think that when, as a communications major that in my bachelor degree days that you, we had something on listening, but we had nothing. You'd think when I got to seminary, they would at least talk about the art of listening to God, but nothing. And I think it's interesting that in our day and age, when you, when you look at the passage, when you look at the scriptures, it says over 58 different times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, something in relationship to he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so this whole concept of listening and hearing is a, is a key concept to the whole thing. In fact, when you look at different Old Testament passages, let me just give you a snippet here as we go through. The son of man, this is to Ezekiel when they're in captivity, and the Lord is speaking to him saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but see not, who have ears to hear but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Jesus, in the New Testament, when he begins to uh, speak to the people and he's given a parable on how when the word of God is sown in someone's life and it can land on different soils, rocky soil, you know, soil with thorns, uh, different things, or good soil. At the end of that parable, he says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Revelation is chocked full of this language, of hearing, of being able to hear. In fact, to the letters to the seven churches, at the end of each one, 
of the letters to the seven churches, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And of course, in our context today, in 1 Samuel 3, which is what we'll be going through today, there's a very interesting narrative. And the narrative is one in which God is trying to speak to Samuel, and Samuel doesn't recognize his voice. Now, and because we had so many moving parts this morning, we didn't have time to, to have part of that being where the scripture is read, so we get the context, and, and I think that's important that we have the context. So I want to just kind of sum up where, what's going on in chapter 3, and then we'll dive into it. Historians think that Samuel at this point was 11 years old, and he is being, he's kind of in apprenticeship under Eli, Eli, not to become a priest, but to become a prophet. And so he's, he's working in the temple, he's doing these different things, and, and he's, he's working along. Eli is one who's on his way out. His, his eyes are going, he's getting older because of the sin that has been within his family. God says, it is done, your sons are going to die, these different things. So he, he is on his way out, but he's sleeping in, near the tabernacle, near, near the presence of God, you know, and, and so where the ark of God is. Samuel is there as well, and Samuel is sleeping, and, and I think he's there because one of the things that Leviticus tells us is that there's a lamp, a burning lamp that is supposed to be there, and it should not go out. And so his purpose is there to make sure it doesn't go out. Well, in the midst of the night, God speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, Samuel. Well, he doesn't recognize it as being God's voice, so he goes to Eli, and he says, I'm here. And Eli says, I didn't call you, go back to bed. So a second time, God calls to him and says, Samuel, Samuel. He gets up again. He goes to Eli, and he goes, I'm here. And Eli says, I didn't call you. You're interrupting my sleep. Go back to bed. But this kind of reminds me, when our kids were little, and if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know what this is like. When you wake up in the middle of the night, and your child is just looking at you, like their face is just looking at you, and it's kind of a freaky moment where they're just like, I'm here. And our girls, it didn't take long for them to realize that if they came to my side of the bed, they were going to get an Eli response. I didn't call you, go back to bed. Now, if they came to Susan's side of the bed, there was a higher chance that they were going to, at least for a few moments, were going to get to snuggle in bed with us. They knew that pretty much right away. So here is Eli. He's like, look, I didn't call you, go back to bed. It happens a third time. Samuel, Samuel, the Lord calls out to him. He comes to Eli. Eli says, this time it says, Eli perceived. He finally understood. Hey, I wonder if this is the Lord trying to get your attention. Now, he also, I think, had to think, I wonder why the Lord is wanting to talk to this 11-year-old intern and not me. But he does, and he, so he goes to, he says, next time when the Lord calls you, you need to say something different. Don't come into me because I'm going to be sleeping. But what you want to do is you want to say, speak for your servant hears. So when it comes time, you do that. And so when Samuel, the fourth time, God comes, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel says, speak for your servant hears. And the Lord then begins to tell Samuel what exactly he wants to do and what he's going to do. Now, this is interesting. Samuel is going to be a prophet. And one of the first things the Lord's going to ask him to do is give bad news to Eli. And so it says in the text that, Eli, that Samuel is very nervous about this, and he fears having to tell this to Eli. But in the morning, Eli goes, you met with the Lord. Tell me what he said. Tell everything. Do not let one thing fall. What did he tell you? 
And so Samuel tells him and tells him that his sons are going to die and it's over for him and he's going to be leaving. And it's interesting that what Samuel or what Eli says, he says, it's the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. And then it says Samuel grew in the Lord and everybody knew that he was a prophet from Dan to Beersheba, which is the north to the south. The whole country knew we now have a prophet, someone who's going to speak for God. Two questions come to mind. That's what's going on in chapter 3. So two questions come to mind. One, have you ever heard the voice of God? Have you ever heard the voice of God? And secondly, would you want to hear his voice? I think that's an important question well. Do you want to hear it? And so this morning, I want to, let's see if we can discern if, what it means when we have ears to hear as we go through the passage. Notice in verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. In other words, they had so stopped listening to him that the Lord wasn't speaking anymore. And my question was, gosh, I wonder how long it took them to recognize that the Lord wasn't speaking anymore. How much time had to go by before they go, you know what, we're not really hearing anything anymore. But there wasn't any hearing from the Lord on that. Now the word rare, it's not just a time thing. It actually means weighty or precious. So in other words, the very thing that was valuable, invaluable, meaning the word of God, was now kind of being kicked to the curb. And it was no longer something that they would, they, they desired or they wanted. And so there was nobody to trust the word of God to. And again, we talked last week about how there's parallels here to Jesus. But if you'll notice, just as it was dark and there was, and there was rare and there was no visions going on, think about when Jesus came. Jesus came on after 400 years of silence. The intertestamental period. A time when there was no prophet. Nobody was speaking. It was silent. It was dark. Jesus, the last thing that Jesus said, or, or that is said in Malachi, is that there's a, you, you're robbing me. You're not listening to me. I will send a prophet, and he will speak for me. You come that 400 years of silence, and you come to the New Testament. Jesus is on the way. And who is it? But Jesus himself says, John the Baptist is the Elijah that we were talking about. He's the one who has come to point to me. He's the one who is going to be the forerunner for me. And so here you have it where just as Samuel was coming into this dark time and now he had to say something, so Jesus was the same way when it was dark and all of a sudden he is there and he is speaking for God. Now, in the, just as in the same way, I think that because God has never stopped speaking, there are some things that we can learn here, I think, when it comes to having ears who hear. So let's just take a look at some of these. And here, here's, here's one of them. And I think God's voice is loudest when it's darkest. I don't know if you found that in your life, but when something is pressing in against you, when things aren't going necessarily the way that you want, that is a time when God, it seems like we're maybe more attuned to his voice, when we're more attentive to, okay, God, what do you want to say? What are you trying to speak? What is it that you want? Haven't you found that true? It's not when things are going really well and I'm just thinking everything's going my way and I'm just kind of riding this for the way it goes. It's just something about our ears become more open and we're more interested to hear what God says when things are pressing in against us. One of my favorite quotes comes from C.S. Lewis and, I, and I've used this so many times, but I use it again. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. 
It's God's megaphone to raise a deaf world. And so I think that that is so true, that when things are hard, this is when God is truly speaking and we're more attuned to it. I think another thing is that God's primary way of speaking is obviously through his word. Now, I think that there's, um, it may not be audible, but it's just as powerful. And I do believe that there are way, various ways. I say primary because I don't think it's the only way. I think that God speaks outside of his word in various ways, dreams, visions, uh, through people, different ways, but never contrary to his word. He'll speak outside of it, but the measure is it's always in consistency with his word. Now, isn't it interesting? When you look at chapter 3, verse 1, it says the word was rare in those days. At the very end of the chapter, it's like a bookend. It says, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So if you want to hear from the Lord, open his word. I mean, he is speaking. Hebrews 1.1 says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many, in many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, the word made flesh. I mean, we have a very high value for the word of God, that it is inspired, that it is God's word to us. It's living, it's active. And so I, I believe that if I heard nothing from God, other than what he has revealed through his son by the power of the spirit in the word of God, I would lack nothing. It would give me everything I need to walk through life and and make decisions. Now, it's not going to give me specific things. It's not going to say, hey, do this and don't do this. But it's going to give me this general knowledge and understanding of God's ways to be able to go through. Another thing I think that God does, I think this is an important one, is that God speaks specifically. He doesn't hang out in generalities. Notice he called Samuel by name. Samuel, I have something to tell you. Samuel didn't recognize it at first, which we'll get to here in a minute. But I think this is particularly important because when you look at the volume of voices that we hear on a daily basis, Satan is continually speaking. He is continuing, he prays on our vulnerability, on our fears, on our insecurities. He'll He'll use ill-spoken words to just kind of take a plant in our life and all these things. It's constant. And so that's why we say often we need to preach to ourselves more and listen to ourselves less. And what we're saying is, is that we need to remind ourselves of what God's word says so that we can anchor on that truth in the midst of all the other things that get going on. Because we, we are not home. This is Satan's domain. And he is seeking to seek, kill, and destroy. Repeat. Every day, seek, kill, and destroy. Repeat. Seek, kill, and destroy. Every day, and and just when maybe you think, man, I got it down, he'll bring in something else because he knows where our cracks are. He knows where the chinks in our armor are. And so we need to get rid of the yabbats. And what I mean by that is that when we go to the Word of God and we read the Word of God and we say, okay, this is God's truth, but then in our mind we go, yeah, but... And we'll get reminded of something else that is from the Word of God. And we'll go, yeah, but... And isn't that the same? Isn't that what was right back in the garden? I mean, with Adam and Eve, it's the same way. Well, God said this, yeah, but... And so I think 
it's the yabbits in our life that get us in trouble because when we go with the yabbit, then what we're, do, what we're allowing is we're allowing the other thoughts that come into our lives to have traction and pretty soon we'll get to believe them. And it's amazing how powerful the mind can be and how it can then begin to influence everything that we say or do. And when God wants my attention, and this is what I love about it, he'll, he speaks specifically. He doesn't hang out in generalities. Satan is, is, hangs out in generalities. It's like, oh, I just I kind of feel depressed. I don't really know why. I just kind of feel yucky. I just kind of, and, and that's kind of that oppression that comes from him. But God is very specific. So like when he says, Doug, there's a sin in your life that I want to confront, he's not going to go, eh. He's going to go, no, it's, it's this one. And I need you to confess this. Or I want you to say this. You know, it, it, it's, not, it's not general. It's very specific. And I'm thankful for that. Because there's a lot of generalities that hang out there. And it's usually, when Satan does it, it's usually negative. In fact, it's always negative. In a sense, it's it's supposed to draw us away from God. Now, that being said, I also want to make note that not everything God has to say is feel good. It's not all feel good, but it is always for our good. In our context today, what God had to say to Eli was not going to be a positive message, but it was his word. And it's, you know, notice, even Eli... When Eli is at this state, when he knows he's on his way out, even he knows when he's told this. He didn't argue against it. He just said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. In other words, let thy will be done, because I'm not going to work against the word of God. When God speaks, it's just as good as it's going to happen. And so we know that in the scripture, when Paul was writing to that young pastor, Timothy, and he said, all scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for training in righteousness and you know we like the first part you know hey uh, if it can profit me in some way or if it can teach me but we don't like the latter part you know the, the reproof and the correction but it'll always be specific to whatever it is that we are going through and so this is a, this really brings us to a humbling posture before the lord lord have your way do what you must in my life and in your timing so what we have is we have God's voice is usually loudest when it's darkest. It's primary speaks through his word. He's usually specific, and it's not always feel good. But now that's all coming from God's side when God is speaking to us. But my question is, is there anything that we can do as the recipients, as ones who want to hear? Are there things that we can do that put ourselves in a position to where we can hear better? And I think there are a few. The first thing I think that we need to understand is that distinguishing God's voice is a learning process. It's not something you just instantaneously get. Notice how it says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. It also says in there that Samuel didn't know the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't have a relationship with him. He didn't hear from him. It's just like, but what it's saying is he couldn't recognize his voice. He hadn't distinguished at that point which voice is God's and which one's is not. Now, I bet after this time, if Samuel ever got woken up again and it said, Samuel, Samuel, he's not running to Eli. He knows because now he recognizes it and he recognizes whose voice it is. We can read passages like in John when it says that my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and we can think, well, man, we just instantaneously know it. And I don't know about you, but for me, this has been a growing process, a learning process. 
it has been something where I have learned more about the voice of God and when I'm hearing from him and when I'm not. But the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I know his ways, the more I understand his word, the better I become a better listener. And, and, and listening is an art, right? I mean, listening isn't something on any way that we just all of a sudden get. It is an art. It is, it is learning the ins and outs of it. I, I liken it to a relationship. You know, I, Susan and I have been married for 36 years, and I'll tell you, she can even come into a room if I'm somewhere and she's in there and I hear her speaking, right away I know it's her voice. We know, you know, I can, I can go to a restaurant and I don't even need to ask her what she wants. I can just go, she's going to have this, you know, and usually when we go to a restaurant, she'll go to the bathroom first and then I'll sit down so the waitress is there and she'll go, what do you have to drink? And I go, she'll have an unsweet tea with lemon. And I'll order what I want and then inevitably it happens. She comes back and goes, what did you order me to drink? And I go, unsweet tea with lemon. She goes, oh, I wanted a Coke today. So, like I said, it's a learning process, right? You know, but so we get to know each other. And I found it to be the same with the Lord. That the, the, the Lord knows. And that we can, we know his voice. We gain understanding. We get a, we get a better sense of, of, of how he works in certain situations. And again, again, it's trial and error, right? Because there have been times when I've gotten ahead of him. And I've realized, uh, yeah, I kind of went with my own thing on that, and I need to back up. I need to follow him. But I'll say this. His voice is much more recognizable now than it was for me 10 years ago. I can hear, and I, and I, and I would say, and my heart is, always, is more in a position now where I want to hear what he has to say than it was back when I first started walking with him. When I first started, I was like, if you just agree with the things that I come up with, that would be great. Now it's like, don't give me what I want. What do you want? And how is this going to work itself out? I think there's another thing here, and I think for us on our side too, and that is putting ourselves in positions where we can hear. Notice Samuel is in the temple. He's near the ark where the presence of the Lord was. And I think that we can do that as well. And one of the things that we can do is it's going to require, if we want to hear from God, we have to slow down. It requires a slower pace. Pulling away. I picture a person running on a treadmill with his earbuds in and TV on in the background going, God, here, talk to me. And you're like, you've got so much distortion going on, I can't even talk to you. Or you're, you're in the house and you're vacuuming and you're doing different things and you've got all the things going on in your mind. And you're like, Lord, I want to hear from you. And you're like, I, I can't speak to you. You've got so many things that are just distracting that are going on. I, I can't get that. So I think, one, it's slowing down. Secondly, I think it's getting to a quiet place. Finding a place that you know is quiet where you can hear from him. You know, this is easier at different seasons of life. We're empty nesters, so we don't have anybody in the home. So I got a bedroom with a, with a chair in the corner where it has a light specifically for it, and I can go there, and it's quiet, and it's early in the morning, and I can just open up, and I can go, okay, Lord. There'll be times when I'm in the office, and you'd think, well, in my office, I'm by myself, and I'm studying on different things, but there are so many distractions that are going on. Sometimes I'll just go out the door that's right by my office, and I'll just walk around the building, and I'm just saying, I'm going to not take anything. I just want to, Lord, I'm going to slowly walk, and I'm just going to be in your presence, and I just need you to speak to me. 
And he, be, you know, and so he'll bring things to mind, people to pray for, different things. And I think also it's about opening the word and opening the word and allowing him to speak since it's primary. Now, with that being said, I'll say this. When we open God's word, we got to have a heart posture that says, I want to hear from you. Not just open it up to be academic, not just open it up to go into it to to do different things, but it's, Lord, just as Samuel, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Those obviously aren't magic words, but I think it's something like before you open the word of God, just take a moment. Holy Spirit, out my anxiousness, out my different thoughts. Okay, Lord, I'm just trying to center with you, and I want you to speak to me. And I'm going to open your word this morning, and I'm not going to come in here with an agenda. I'm not going to come in here to try to figure out something. I just want to come, and I want you to speak through me. Use it in my life. And this has been challenging. This has been challenging for me. It was challenging for me in, uh, in seminary when we were reading, reading so many things and you came to it and it was all academic. You know, and even now, as a primary, if it's a person whose my primary responsibility is teaching the Word of God, um, I've got to sit in the Word before I speak it. So in other words, I can't just come to the Word for an agenda like Sunday's coming. I've got to prepare a message. I've got to first go, okay, Lord, first and foremost, I'm going to read 1 Samuel 3. And I'm going to read it for myself. And I need you first and foremost to teach me what is it that you want me to know. And so the things that I'm giving to you are things that he has revealed to me. This is what I want you to know. I want you to slow down. I want you to get to a quiet place. I want you not to come to the word and just be academic with it. But I need you to come and say, what is it that, you, that I want you to hear? And that puts our heart posture in a place then that I think is one in which we can go, okay, God, just speak to me. I'm going to sit and I'm going to, and just whatever way, just use your word to speak to me. Because it might not be audible, but it's powerful. And you'll know it. And I got a final one. And that is, and there's an interesting part of this passage, and that is don't let God's word fall to the ground. In other words, in Samuel, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. When I read that, I thought, whoa, that is really interesting. Now, I think contextually, it's obviously talking about the fact that what God revealed to Samuel, Samuel spoke it. But what I felt like the Lord was saying to me is, when my word comes to your life, does, it get, does the pause button get hit or the mute button? In other words, I reveal things to you. I speak to you, but it's not supposed to stop with you. I have always spoken my word to people that it may benefit them and that it also would benefit those around them. So that when God speaks to me, I'm just a conduit of allowing his word to speak to me so that I can encourage others. So my question would be this morning, does the word of God become silent when it passes through you? Does the word of God hit the mute button when it comes into your life? And I had a friend send me some articles this last week about the church and, 
and as the church goes into the new age and some things that we need to adjust to and, and the digital age and everything else, it, it was interesting. There was a couple quotes that I think really relate to this, and one of them was this. The church can answer why in a world that's starved for meaning. People don't want information. They want meaning. They want to know the meaning of things. The church can also answer who in a world that's starving for relationships. So we have the why and we have the who. And so he says when he speaks to us, he wants that then to go out and to bless others. To let his living word pass through us and not become dead. But that we would become encouragers. We would let the word of God flow through us so that we can then help others. That's always the way the word of God was meant to be, to pass right through us. Let's take it home. Worship team, you guys can come on up. You know, each week at the end of our service, uh, we quote 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. And we say, okay, go love first. And, you know, that's not just a, a cute little statement. That's a charge. That's a, that's a charge for us that says, take that which I have given to you, now go be the church and live it out in word and deed. Don't just live it out in deed, although that's important, but live it out verbally. How will they know unless they have someone to tell them? How can they be encouraged? So that means when you're going out and there may be somebody, maybe you're a student, and you're standing in line at whatever to eat something, and there may be somebody there that God just says, I want you to encourage them, or I want you to pray for them, or I, I don't know how it would be, but if you just go, God, just live in and through me in whatever way I want you, I want to be a conduit for you so that your word does not just stop in my life, but it passes on and it, and it gets to bless others. That's what we mean by go love first. Take the love that he's loved us and go now be the church. Verbally and practically in in ways that you can do it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have never stopped speaking. Thank you that you've given us your word. And I pray that we, Lord, as we get into it, that we would come with a posture and just say, Lord, speak to me inform me. May your grace go through me. May may your word just be something that doesn't just stop in my life, but it practically gets applied. Thank you that you're specific. Thank you that you don't hang out in generalities, but when there's something that you want to confront in my life, you'll be very specific about it. And give us the boldness and the courage to be able to confess that, to repent of that, and to be able to come to you. God, we know that we're in a fast-paced world that's moving at different paces and and, and we have got to be ones that slow down and and value your voice. We don't want to be called a generation where the word of God was rare and there was no visions. We want to be a time and a people where we're hearing from you and allowing you to, to, hear, to hear your word and, all, and then using that to bless others and be a conduit for you. Would you help us in that? God, thank you that we can even, that, that we have access to you, that we can hear your voice. And may we be good hearers and doers of that word. 
And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing. And God never stops speaking. Do you believe that? Yeah, and he wants, he wants to inform you. He wants to change you. He wants his word to just speak to you. And we have to come to it humbly. We have the uh, Lord's Supper up front here. We'd love for you to come and partake of that this morning to commune with him. You know, as we said every week, we, we, we love because he first loved us. You know what to do. Go love first in word and in deed. Go be the church. Thanks for coming.